Yes, I am. If you're a guest, <coughs> welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. We're always excited to have guests with us, and if you're a member, know that we are praying for you guys. Uh, let us know how we can continue to do that. Um, just to let you guys know, in February, starting the 1st of February, we will be fasting and praying together as a church. Uh, prepare your hearts for that, right? Ask the Lord, what should you fast from? Right? It might be food, might be coffee, it might be whatever it is. Seek Christ, ask God what you ought to fast from. Just remember, when you're fasting from something, you need to replace it with prayer and the Word. So we'll have groups for you to be a part of where you can meet throughout the week. Um, you can spend time praying together with sisters, praying together with brothers. Um, and we'll have some direction as to what to, to pray for during that week. Um, so with that said, just, just prepare your hearts for that. We are in a series right now, uh, Spiritual Warfare, and we will take a look at the last three pieces of the armor of God. Next week, we'll focus on the last verse. It's verse 18. It talks about prayer. I shared with you prayer is the glue that keeps the armor on, and then Tony uh, will preach as well. So with that said, uh, grab hold of your Bibles. Turn in to turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We'll read the whole context, 10 through 18. When you've arrived to the text, say word. Can you please stand? Stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is the word of God. Join me as we pray together. Father, we pray that you speak to our hearts as we learn more about the armor of the Lord, that we are armed with the armor of the Lord. We have it on, and God, our desire is not to take it off. So teach us, teach us, God, how to do this. Um, teach us how to rely upon the Spirit of God. Teach us to fight in this battle. Teach us to depend on you. So, Father, this is what we're asking. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not and give us what we do not have. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. The title for today's sermon is Spiritual Warfare, The Shield of Faith, The Helmet of Salvation, and The Sword of the Spirit. A very long title right? Well, we can get it exactly from the text, the three pieces left in the armor. We often find people 
mesmerized and attracted to fire. I don't know about you, but I, I am one of those where when I go to a campsite and there is this fire that I just want to play with it. One of my favorite things I like to do is to get a plastic uh, a bottle of water and then I remove the cap and I just put it in there. And my kids tell me this all the time. Dad, you're so fascinated. You always tell us about this where you can put this bottle of water halfway, put it in the fire and it boils and it doesn't burn that plastic, right? Until the water is completely out. And I'm just amazed by it. And they just like look at me all the time like, dude, like, come on, dad. We know this, right? Stop doing this. I'm just mesmerized by fire. Like when I, when I go and I see it, I'm mesmerized by it. And, and, and some people are. A lot of people are. Children are. But your parents always tell you this one saying, if you play with fire, don't get burned, right? This is the one thing they say. Don't play with fire or you will get burned. And, and friends, this is a great analogy for us when it comes to the spiritual life when it comes to the armor of the Lord, the spiritual battle that we're in, and the world that we're in. You know, the problem is with a lot of Christians is that we're mesmerized with the world. And we want to play in the world and play with the world. But the world is like fire. If you play with the world long enough, you will get burned. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. But not just Paul. I think all the apostles in the New Testament warned us about the, 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 the difficulties of the world. And if we play with it so much, this is what will happen to us. In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, John is writing to the church, writing to the Christians, and this is what John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing along with its desires, but whoever, whosoever, does the will of God abides forever. What a great passage of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, verses 10 through 18, the Apostle Paul encourages us, the believers, to be ready for the spiritual battle to fight the battle by putting on our spiritual armor don't don't miss this in in verse 10 he says to us to be strong in the lord right to depend on the strength of the lord this is a battle that you're fighting and you do not have the strength in and of yourself you're not able to fight satan by yourself you're not strong enough so you need to depend on the strength of god so we yield our life to the strength of God. Then he says to put on the armor. We put it on. We keep it on. We sleep with it. We fight with it. We dance with it. It is our new outfit. This is what we must do. We must keep it on. And here he's saying that we keep it on. And then he explained to us what is the armor used for. To stand firm. To stand firm. It's a defensive battle here. He's saying to us that we stand on the promises of God. We, we stand on the truth of God. Then he lists the armor for us and he tells us of the belt of truth. The belt of truth, this is the Christian doctrine, the fundamental beliefs of the Christian life. What do we believe about God? What do we believe about the gospel, right? We never depart from the Christian doctrines. Do you get it? This is why we are rooted in the Christian doctrines. 
The world tells you all the time to run away from the Christian doctrines, but you say no. It is the belt of truth. It is the girdle that holds everything together for us. So we don't depart from the belt of truth. What else is he mentioned here? He talks about also, he talks about the shoes ready, which is the shoes that we need to put on. It's the gospel of peace, right? This is the gospel that we consistently preach. We tell people concerning the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gospel that Jesus Christ came, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that he died, he resurrected, and he ascended. And in the gospel, there is great peace. And two types of peace we must understand. Peace with God, right? So we are enemies of God, every single one of us. When we are born in our sin, our destiny is hell, and we need peace with God. How do we get the peace with God? Through Jesus Christ. We turn away from our sins, repent of our sins, and we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And then there is peace with God. We're no longer at war with God. There is peace with God. We can call him Father, and he calls us Son. But then when you enter into that relationship, there must also be the peace of God. So you see Christians still struggling. When they walk through life with very difficult circumstances, you can see the peace of God is not with them. And this is why in the book of Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, he says, let the peace of God form a garrison around you. So every time you're thinking and dealing with difficult circumstances for a Christian, he can go through difficult circumstances, even death. And he embraces death with joy. Why? Because of the peace of God. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. This is Jesus's righteousness, his imputed righteousness. So don't think that this is your righteousness. According to the book of Isaiah, your righteousness is as filthy rags. The apostle Paul capitalizing on this in Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 he says I don't want to be found in me with my self-righteousness but to be found in Christ having his righteousness this is a righteousness we need but this righteousness is not given to you to just love and put on a shelf and say man I could know I know everything about Jesus's righteousness and you could talk about it all the time it is given to you to appropriate, to practice in your life. So there is practical righteousness, right? Jesus' righteousness is given. We appropriate that righteousness through obedience. And this is what he means by the breastplate of righteousness. So, so friends, when you're walking through this difficult battle, one of the clearest ways that you can enjoy this victory is by obeying Jesus. You get it. Living for Jesus. Now he gets into the three other pieces of the armor. What are they? The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Notice with me the first point, the shield of faith. <clears throat> the Roman soldiers in that time, again, when the apostle Paul is giving us this analogy, he is really thinking of a Roman soldier. Perhaps he was chained next to this Roman soldier, and he's looking at this Roman soldier, and the Lord inspired Paul to give us this analogy. So, so we need to understand a little bit more about the culture. And the Roman soldier, they had two Pacific shields. The first was a round shield, a very small shield, and it was used for hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
But there was another shield, which was a pretty large shield. It was basically a shield four feet to four and a half feet long and about two feet wide. That's the shield that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. That shield was a very important shield because the Roman soldiers would basically have that shield and on each side of that shield was this particular thing where they can lock on another shield. So all the Roman soldiers would be locked to the shield and they would form this, this kind of wall. And what they would do is they would advance into the battle altogether. And the Apostle Paul is saying to us, this is the shield that we must put on. That shield basically had leather in the front and it was soaked in water. So if there was any flaming darts that would come and hit the shield, it would be extinguished. So here specifically, the Apostle Paul is giving you this idea of this Roman shield. Now, what is the implication for us here? This is an analogy, but what is the spiritual implication here? First of all, let's define the shield of faith. What does he mean by the shield of faith? The Apostle Paul doesn't use the Greek article, the shield of the faith. And if he would have used the shield of the faith, we would say specific Christian doctrines is what Paul is talking about. But he already dealt with that with the belt of truth. He, here he says, he says the shield of faith. So what are you saying, Paul? Simply, the Apostle Paul is saying the shield of faith means complete reliance on God. So when you put on the shield of faith, you are completely relying upon God. Faith means total dependence on God and willingness to do His will. This is, this is what faith is, and this is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Christians. When you're out there in this battlefield, put on the shield of faith. Depend upon God. And this is why the Apostle Paul's words are so important. You might, you might say to yourself, well, Kevin, that, that is ridiculous, of course. We need to put on the shield of faith. But we struggle tremendously in trusting God when we go through difficult times. We, we turn, especially in our culture, we, we turn, we have option A, B, C, D, and E. And if it doesn't work, we say, God help, Right? We, we, we turn to everyone around us, our counselors, our, 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 our pastors. We, we turn to people. We turn to a, our bank account. We, we turn to everyone to help us rather than God. And here the Apostle Paul is saying to us, this shield of faith is simply relying and trusting in God. James Montgomery Boyce, this is what he said. Faith is knowing that when God says that he is able to keep us from failing and, pre and present us before his presence with exceeding joy, he means exactly that and will do it. We do not need to fear when we advance into battle. God will go with us and will bring victory. He's absolutely right. So what can we learn about this Roman shield and in connection with our spirituality? There are three things that we must see. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. One, it should cover us. It should cover us so that our whole body is covered and not exposed. You get it. This shield of faith 
like the Roman soldier's shield, should cover our entire body. And this is what James talks about in James chapter 1, having this double-minded person, right? That we, we say as Christians, yes, God, I believe in you, but we have multiple other options. There's this double-mindedness that we struggle with on a consistent basis. And instead of seeing obstacles in our ways as faith builders, we see them as hindrance. You get it. In, in your life, what we need to do is to build our faith muscles. And one of the clearest ways you can build your, straight, your faith muscles is to basically go through a very difficult time where they are stretched. How do you build muscle? When you go to the gym, you lift heavy weights, right? And this is what weightlifters say. No pain, no gain. So they enjoy pain. They look forward to pain. For us as Christians, we should look forward to difficult times where we have no choice but to trust in Jesus. Do you get it? I know it's painful that I'm saying this to you, but this is how we build our faith muscles. This is one of the things that God uses. He uses difficult times in our lives to what? To conform us into the likeness of Christ. And when we go through difficult times, we can say like the Apostle Paul, so that I can share in the sufferings of Jesus, so that I can be conformed into the likeness of Christ. But not only that, notice the second thing. It should link up with the faith of others to prevent a solid wall of defense. This is the beautiful thing about faith here. Not only must it cover our entire bodies, but it links up with other Christians. Listen, this Christian walk is not meant for you to walk alone. When God saved you, God saved other Christians, and you find great encouragement and strength in this spiritual battle when you link up with other Christians. And what Satan tells you is this. Oh, you're going through this difficulty. Oh, you're thinking about divorcing your wife. Oh, you're thinking about, you're, you're thinking about loss. You're, th you're thinking about adultery. You think about all of these things. Keep it silent. Don't say a word. Don't speak. Don't talk to anyone. Don't share your hearts with anyone. And that's when Satan got you. Friends, we are called to link up with one another. The beautiful thing about the church for me, even as, as a pastor who comes here and preach, I'm so encouraged by you guys. I'm encouraged by Jeff Daigle. When Jeff had to stand up for truth, even with his own family, that he said, I will not turn away from my convictions. I am encouraged by Stephen Daly, who is constantly talking about the word. Encouraged by Sean, who makes sacrifices for the gospel. Encouraged by you. I'm encouraged on Wednesday nights when I hear you pray for your wives and your children and your co-workers. That's the power of the church. And that's how we link up with one another. That's true faith. And here the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing. And I'm encouraged when I read Scripture and I see about Abraham and Joseph and Rahab and Joshua and Hannah. Tremendously encouraged when I read about the faith of these people. But not just people of old. People today. You. You. 
That's the importance of the church. What else must we learn here about the shield of faith? Because it covers our entire body, it links up with other Christians, it should be able to strike down whatever fiery arrows the enemy hurls at us. Do you get it? That's the beauty of it. So, so when I speak to my brother about my struggle, and I ask my brother, Brother Biff, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? I say, Jetty, can you pray for me? Right, right? I say, Stephen, can you pray for me? When I, when I do these things and I link up with other brothers, the, the, the fire, fiery darts that Satan throws at me goes away. Doesn't hurt me anymore. I'm standing on my faith and my faith and my brother and my sister. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. It strengthens your faith by being with one another. You know, friends, I, I want you to get this, and I, I don't want you to miss this. And I really think this is exactly what happens to a lot of Christians. I think a lot of times the battle that we fight as Christians in this spiritual warfare happens in the mind. This is, this is, this is by far one of the most dangerous thing for a Christian, this. We, we start thinking, oh, oh, this one, he didn't tell me hi at church. Man, he hates me. Oh, oh this one's gospel. I, I can't stand this person. Oh, oh, this one hates me because of this. And we have scenarios upon scenarios upon scenarios, and then we, we find ourselves hating the church, and we hate people, and we, we, we hate the things of God because we've allowed our minds to be held captive by Satan. The battle happens here. You know, I love golf, and I've spoken about golf a lot of times, and one of the things I like about golf is that sometimes you can see some of the best players ever. These guys shoot under par. Like when they play, they shoot sometimes eight under par, great players. They've won PGA titles, and all of a sudden, they don't even know how to swing the golf club. They're shooting in the 80s and the 90s, and they're losing a PGA card. And people are saying, what's going on? And professionals are watching them, and they're saying, it's not the swing. It's the mind. They have all kinds of thoughts up there. They're thinking they need to do this and do that. They're thinking, I'm not good enough. Or they're thinking, this was never going to happen. And, and they're saying to them, guys, what? It's your mind. Even in golf, it's your mind. And for a Christian, it's your mind. Watch over your mind. But you don't believe me? Listen to the Apostle Paul and what the Apostle Paul will tell you in this fight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 10, chapter 10, verse 4 through 5. This is what the Apostle Paul mentioned. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinions, the King James says, lofty thoughts raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We need to speak to ourselves, remind ourselves of the truth of God's word. Not, not what we're hearing, not the voices that we're constantly hearing, but every thought we need to hold captive. This is one of the ways that you can build your faith muscles. Have every thought. Not only that, let's notice the second point. The shield of faith. 
now he talks about the helmet of salvation. Again, he's talking about a Roman soldier, and there were two types of helmet. The first was the gallia, which was made of leather, and the other one was a cassis, which was made of metal. And they would cover the entire head and would go all the way down to the face, the cheekbone, and all the way down to the neck. The only thing that would be exposed is your nose and your mouth and your eyes. Every single soldier was called to put on the helmet. If your helmet is not on in the battlefield, then you're looked upon as foolish. So he's called to put on his helmet. What I love about this is that in the Old Testament, we are taught or we are told that God had this helmet of salvation. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 59, verse 17, God is described as this great warrior. And he has this breastplate of righteousness and also the helmet of salvation. The biggest difference here is that in the book of Isaiah, the helmet of salvation represents what God does. That's what he does. He's the helmet of salvation. He does it. That's what he does. In the book of Ephesians is what God gives. God is literally giving you this helmet of salvation. But what does it mean? The helmet of salvation here means the assurance of salvation. And friends, I need you to get this and get this. I guarantee you most of you know this. If you've been walking with the Lord long enough, you know this. One of Satan's greatest tactics and scheme is to cause you to doubt your salvation. Doubt whether you're safe, whether you, whether you love Jesus. More importantly, does God love you? Look what you just did. Look what you just thought. Look at your actions. A consistent assault because he is the accuser. That's what he does. He causes you to doubt your salvation. One of the coolest things that I know of is when you have a football helmet and you put it on a child. Have you ever tried that before? A child could be as weak as possible, but the moment you put on a football helmet on, they think they're Emmett Smith. They think they're the greatest running back ever until you hit them and they fall and they realize they're not. But the most important thing is there is an assurance for them, a confidence booster when they put on that helmet. And here specifically, this is exactly what he's talking about. For me, it's not a helmet. You know, I, I love to sing. I'm a horrible singer. I really am. But I love to sing, man. My wife reminds me all the time how horrible I am at singing. But, you know, as Colleen was singing and Jared was singing, I was singing. And then all of a sudden, they had that long pause and I could hear myself sing. I was like, oh, no, you know, like this is not good. But I was feeling so confident. I was like, man, I could get up there and do a duet with Colleen, you know, until I heard myself sing. And I was like, oh, no, this is not good. But I had great confidence. And friends, the confidence that we get here is the confidence of God's salvation that he has given us. And when we put on that helmet of salvation, God's helmet of salvation, there is great confidence. So all the assault that comes to us, to our minds and our thoughts, with this helmet of salvation, we are protected. Talks about the shield of faith. And now here comes the helmet of salvation. Friends, this is why I think 
the doctrine of eternal security is a very important doctrine to consistently remind yourself that God who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. You have to. Because if you choose not to, Satan will assault you and make you feel and think that you are nothing before God. And one who is consistently wavering back and forth and back and forth without understanding this assurance of salvation that he is secure in Christ, he will find himself moving away constantly from the things of Christ. You need the helmet of salvation, the assurance of salvation. Or you save. You know, the other pitfall is for those who say, you know, once save, always save, so I can do whatever I want. That's a dangerous pitfall. The doctrine of eternal security and assurance of salvation is one that says, I am standing on the truth of God's word, living for Jesus. I'm not just stable, living for the world, and I'm saved. I walked down the aisle, I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm good when you're not living for Jesus, right? That's a major problem. But because you're living for Jesus, there should be this sense of assurance of salvation, my friends. Trust in, in the things of God. I like what Bruce Barton mentions. He says, the helmet assures us that whatever happens will be, we will be saved and experience victory in Christ. This is what we need, no matter what happens, God. No matter what difficulty I'm going through, my wife left me, my husband left me. I have nothing in my bank account. The doctors just said to me that I have cancer. My child just got pregnant. No matter what I'm going through, you are victorious. And I will not depart from you. That I'll put on the helmet of salvation that will not doubt my salvation right now. I know who I am in Christ. This is the beauty here, friends. This is the beauty. And finally, the sword of the Spirit. You know, what's amazing about this is that every piece of the armor thus far is for the defense, right? When you get to this particular one, it's offense. It's defense, but it's also offense. And this is the beauty of the Word of God. It doesn't just protect your heart from Satan, but dude, it, it, it goes at him, causes him to flee, right? And that's what James says, when you resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will what? Flee. And this is the beauty of this word here. So when he's talking about the sword, he's talking about a particular sword that the Roman soldier had. They had two swords. One in particular here was a very short sword. It was very, very short. It was used for hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is the one he's talking about. As a matter of fact, the Roman soldiers were called short swords because they actually invented this short sword. It was a powerful sword. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. The sword was double-edged. It cut and thrust in its strategy. And the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Can't use, this is what he states. He says, the Spirit makes the Word of God effective as we speak it and receive it. 
The Spirit gives the Word its penetrating power and sharp edge. This is what he says here. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Don't miss this. It's the sword of the Spirit. And this is something we must fully understand about the Word and the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit, they do not contradict each other. They do not. The Word and the Spirit work together. As a matter of fact, according to Paul, the Word is the sword of the Spirit. Do you remember in the Gospel of John when Jesus says, I will send to you another. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? To remind you of the Word of Christ. In the book of Ephesians, he talks about when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. This very book, in chapter 5, right? In verse 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit of God. Then he talks about the consequences of being filled with the Spirit of God. What are the consequences? You sing melody in your heart. You submit to one another. Husbands, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. Wives, you submit to your husbands. Parents, you do not provoke your children. Children, you obey your parents. Employees, you listen to your employers. Employers, you don't mistreat your employees. And then, in the book of Colossians, when Paul wrote, he wrote the book of Colossians, and he wrote the book of Ephesians around the same time. But instead of him saying, to be filled with the Spirit in the book of Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in your hearts in Colossians chapter 3. <sighs> okay, Paul, what are the consequences of the word of God dwelling richly in your hearts? And Paul is saying, I'm glad you asked. And guess what they are? The same consequences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Parents, do not provoke your children. Employees, respect your employers. And employers, treat your employees with respect as well. Exact same consequences. What's the main difference? One is being allowing the word to dwell, dwell richly in your heart. And the other is being filled with the Spirit of God. The same thing. The word of God and the Spirit of God, they work together. That's why I have some churches and friends of mine who are saying, you know what, uh, y'all in your church, y'all all the Word, and we are the Spirit. I'm like, I pray that's not the case. Pray that's not the case. We, we want to be of the Word, and we want to be of the Spirit. Y'all are of the Word over here. We are of the Spirit right here. You know that the Word and the Spirit works together? And friends, if you notice very carefully, even in the Bible, we have a great example of what Jesus did, right? When Satan came against Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. How did Satan, how did Jesus resist Satan's temptation through what? Audience participation? The Word. The Word. Constantly Memorized, he knew the word, he quoted the word, he mentioned the word. Not only is this used in a defensive posture, but also an offensive posture as well. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirits, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the Word of God. Do you understand how powerful 
this is. Don't say you're filled with the Spirit and don't say you have the fruit of the Spirit when you're not in the Word because the Spirit uses the Word. It is the sword of the, of the Spirit. You know, it's incredible because I think it's important that you understand this. One is, how do we get a firm grip on the Word of God? This is a very important thing, right? If, if the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and we need the sword in this spiritual battle, how do we get a firm grip? And the problem is sometimes we, we are, our, our muscles, our spiritual grip, right, is not working as well, so we can't get a firm grip. And maybe some of us, we have arthritis, spiritual arthritis, so we just can't really grip it like we ought to. So five, five things, right, simple. Spiritually, there are five ways we can have a firm grip on the Word of God. That's if you're saved, right? This is not for you who are not saved. If you are saved, this is how you can do it. First, you must hear the Word of God preach on a consistent basis. Listen to the Word of God. Do not say you have a firm grip on the Word of God when you are not disciplining yourself to listen to the Word of God. The only time you come to church is once a year. The only time you hear the Word of God preach is once every six months, right? That, that is not a good thing because I promise you're not going to have a firm grip. You need to hear the Word of God on a consistent basis. So, so discipline yourself and say, I, I need to hear the Word. I need to hear the Word preach, right? Second, read the Word. We must, we must read His Word. Not just hear it preach, but I must read it. I must spend time saturating myself in the Word, right? It's a new year, so, so you, you get a Bible reading plan, read through the Bible. There's so many Christians, so many Christians who've been Christians for a long time, they've never read through the Bible, or even fully read through an entire book of the Bible. 66 books. Discipline yourself to read the Bible on a consistent basis, because as you read it, as you read it, the Spirit of God is going to help you understand it. But not just read it, not just hear it, read it, but you study the Word of God. There's a difference between reading it and studying it because the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to study to show yourself approved. Now, I was thankful. I was talking to Andrew, and Andrew was saying to me, hey, I've been reading 2 Timothy and Abner. Can you, can you tell me I've been studying about Abner? Do you think Abner was saved? I was like, man, that's awesome, Andrew. You're studying the Word. But let's hold on. I don't know the answer. <laughs> I'll give you the answer some other time. Uh, but I am, I'm proud of you, man, that you're studying the Word. Not just reading it, you're studying it. And I think it's important for us as Christians to not just read the Word, but study the Word. Dive deeply in the Word. Like you, you need a concordance, right? You, you, you need a, a book and a paper. You need multiple translations. It's not hard. It is not hard. You have a lot of help today. You can even learn the Greek language, and you don't even have to do that. But today, you don't have to go to seminary to learn any of these things. It is at your disposal. Don't be lazy. Study the Word. I, I told people this because lately I've been trying to figure out my own health journey and trying to figure things out. And I was like, you know, I, mean, I love doctors, and I think doctors are really good. But, you know, I, what I've learned is to treat doctors like I treat pastors. Like I treat preachers. 
And the, the way I do it is I say, well, preacher, you come up, you preach the word, but you better preach the word correctly because I am going to study myself. I'm going to research myself. So you better bring the word. And this is what you should do to me, but also our doctors. And I'm learning that myself. It's like, I want to know what you're saying about my health, right? So we must study. The only way you can do this to hold me accountable, your Sunday school teachers accountable, is for you to study the word. Don't be lazy. Pull up your Bibles and read and study. We're not just that. We hear the word. We read the word. We study the word. We can feel the grip is getting a little tighter. Wow, wow. The next is we memorize the word. Wow. This is a discipline that we must do. Memorize the word. Spend time knowing the word of God. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he quoted scripture. I didn't think he had the Torah before him. He quoted scripture. David said in Psalm 119 verse 11, how can I abstain from sin by hiding your word in my heart? We must memorize the word of God. Know the word. Know it. And then finally, you can imagine we're trying to grip the sword, it's firm, but not firm enough. We need the big boy. We need him. We need him. We need him when we grip. Man, it's going nowhere. This is the big boy. This is the meditation of the word here. We, we meditate upon the word. We think deeply about the word of God. And we allow the word of God to not just get here, but to get here. And what we do is we think deeply about it. And we say, God, this is amazing. I'm, I'm thinking about your truth. I, I'm thinking about Psalm chapter 1. Blesses the man. Blesses the man who does not do these things, but delight in your word. I'm thinking of this man who's eaten the word of God. And he feels nourished. He feels good. And he's planted by the streams of water. That's what meditation does. It takes you into a place of understanding the richness of God's Word. We must meditate on the Word of God. This is exactly why Scripture mentions to think about what is good, what is true, what is profitable, right? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, how do you think about these things? Because you're meditating deeply about the things of God. The problem with us today is that we meditate about the wrong things. We think about the wrong things. But when you memorize scripture, you can meditate on the things of God. So when you're driving and someone cut in front of you, man, you have scripture to memorize and you're meditating upon it. Instead of thinking, I am waiting to tell this person off. You get it. Someone hurts you and you're thinking about hurting them, you have scripture to help you, to convict you. This is how you build your faith muscles. The question is, do you have a firm grip on the Word of God? Are you hearing the Word of God? Are you reading the Word of God? Are you studying the Word of God? Are you memorizing the Word of God? And are you meditating on the Word of God? Just have a firm grip on the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And you need that sword. Join me as we pray together. Father, thank you so much 
for the word that is given to us. Thank you that we can listen to your word, apply your word. Thank you that when we see the shield of faith and we see other Christians around us living for Jesus, how that can really encourage us. But God, when other Christians are not living for Jesus, that discourages us. When we see other Christians putting down their shield of faith, that discourages us. So God, I pray, I pray that we see more Christians standing up for the truth. That we could build this faith muscle by linking up with other Christians, praying for other Christians, seeing other Christians standing for truth. Thank you for the word of God that you've given us. It is the sword of the Spirit. Our weapons, God, are not carnal. But you've given us the weapons in the book of Ephesians. So let us put it on. Let's clothe ourselves with it. And let us live for you, Jesus. God, we thank you. We worship you. And we exalt you. In your mighty and precious name. Amen. Please stand. Respond to the word of God. I'll be up front. Love to pray with you. But please, at this very moment, respond to God's word. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste, glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. church family.